0: Let's open the Word of God to John 15, because that's the lesson we have come to in John 15. I want us to understand John 15. That means I want you to understand John 15. I'm very comfortable with John 15 and thankful to God for it. It's a very simple chapter in the Bible. I hope you remember that verses 1 through 8, our fruitful disciples abide in Jesus Christ you must stay walking with Jesus Christ by faith and obedience to have his power in your life to bear fruit and be a productive Christian as they were to be productive apostles. Verses 9 through 17, lesson number two, is love is the bond between heaven and earth. Love is the bond between God, Christ, and his apostles, and love is the bond between them and us, and it's the bond between us and one another in this church. All of that was taught in the verses nine through 17, that fellowship is based on love. I hope that you will not be filling out your little piece of paper right now because that is not what you're supposed to be doing. That is very childish for you to do that. I have called the president of one of the largest banks in America down for doing that in a meeting because it's wrong. I gave that to you. As we come to each point, I will tell you when to fill it in so that you might remember the things. Don't be going ahead and missing the points that I'm trying to make right now. Could you stand up right now and give me the four, the four lessons in John chapter 15 explain them? Because if you were filling out your little page, you must be able to do that. The second lesson is that it is love that binds us with heaven, and it's a reciprocal love. It's God's love toward us and our love toward God. And that is a precious promise of the gospel to understand that reciprocal relationship. The third lesson is the one we want to cover today. It's verses 18 through 25. The world hates and the world hurts. True disciples. The world hates and the world hurts. True disciples. And these true disciples were about to experience it as soon as Jesus left them. The three lessons are fellowship, that was lesson number two. Fruitfulness was lesson number one. Persecution is lesson number three, and how we should endure it. Fruitfulness is by faith and obedience and love of Christ. And fellowship is by love, reciprocal love with heaven. And persecution is to be endured by understanding about ten arguments that the Lord's going to give us in just eight verses. I am amazed, and I marvel at our Lord's gifted speech to be able to pull together ten arguments in eight verses, each of which is weighty and could be developed more fully as to why persecution should not discourage the apostles nor us. Right. Ten in eight verses, and I hope I can make them simple for you. Let me summarize the lessons this way. On the road to Bethany... They have adjourned their meeting from the upper room. They're out of the upper room. They're coming out of the city of Jerusalem. They have a two-mile walk to Bethany, where the Mount of Olives is, where he was wont to retire, and where the Garden of Gethsemane was that he would be arrested in momentarily. Lesson one, men, it's personal, very personal. Men, 11 of them, men, I want you to be successful. So you must abide in me by faith and obedience after I'm gone. It's the first eight verses. That's abiding in Christ. That's the vine branches metaphor that he used. Men, I want you to be successful. But you need my strength in you. You cannot do it without me. So by faith and obedience and love, remain attached to me even though I'm gone. Men... You can continue our friendship. This is lesson number two. You can continue our friendship and fellowship, realize great joy and have unity with each other by wonderful love, reciprocal love with me and love with your brethren, one at a time. Love each other. Friends, men, he called them friends. Men, it's going to get ugly. Are you with me for today's lesson? Men, it is going to get ugly due to Jews and pagans of this world. But it's because God has called you out of this world and you're no longer part of them. It's going to get ugly. And if we live godly in Christ Jesus, it will get ugly for us. That's right. In our homes, with our children, there's going to be divisions made. Jesus Christ didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Right. Lord, prepare us for it. In his last lesson, a very short one with two verses at the end of John 15, friends, I will keep my word of the comfort, presence, and power of God in you by the Holy Ghost to preach my truth to the world. I will keep my promise to send power to you and a comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. And those are the four lessons of John 15. They're very simple. There's nothing esoteric or mysterious about them. There's spiritual truth about them but you can understand them and we need to embrace them. The closer you are to Jesus Christ, the more fruitful and productive your life. The more love you have toward heaven, the more love you get from heaven. The more love you have toward others, the more you please God and have blessings in your life of peace and unity. And if you understand that persecution was sent by God for us and for our betterment and for us to show that we're true Christians, we'll embrace it, we'll embrace persecution. Let us come to John 15, verse 18. I read to you at verse 18 through verse 25. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me Hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Amen and amen. Amen. We start with verse 18. If the world hates you, if the world hates you, yes, the world was going to hate these apostles and the world will hate us the more that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience and take a stand for him and his word by action and in word when called upon to do so. Jesus knew these 11 would be hated, rejected, and persecuted by the world. And he was about to leave them. And he knew that it would be an intimidating, terrifying prospect when it burst forth upon them. Do you remember the warning from Philippians 1.27 that I read? Philippians 1.28 that I read earlier this morning? In nothing, terrified by your adversaries? The apostles were going to have adversaries that would be terrifying. In fact, in two hours from this moment, they would be fleeing like little children from an arresting mob that came to gather in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he knew this was coming. And by this instruction here, And by the gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they were changed men. They were fearless. They they were not terrified by their adversaries. The Apostle Paul was in danger of his life every single day of his life after his conversion, but it didn't move him. He was going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This section, this section from verses 18 through 25, these eight verses are to encourage them and to keep them from being offended. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Let's go to the next chapter. Verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15 are a little break, and then Jesus spends a few more verses about persecution. But we'll make make the break with him. So we come to chapter 16. Look at the first few verses. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. What things? Chapter 13, no. 14, no. 15, not really. 15, 18 through 25. Because notice what he says. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he is doing God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. It's from today's lesson that we have these verses in John 16, verse 4, But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whither goest thou. That's very simple to understand, isn't it? While I've been with you, I didn't tell you what it was going to be like being my apostles after I left because I was still with you, we could have a safe and secure good time preaching the gospel, performing miracles for three and a half years. But now that I'm going away, I want you to know what's coming, because it's going to be scary, it's going to be ugly. And it was ugly. They were considered the filth of the world and the off-scouring of all things, the apostles were. They were in danger of their lives at all times because of the Jews. And because of the wicked world that hates the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there you understand the importance of this lesson. It is a shame. And it is what should be one of the greatest reasons for our thanksgiving. That we're not persecuted. It's a shame that we're not persecuted more. It should be one of our biggest thanksgivings. Do you understand me speaking with a forked tongue? Out of both sides of my mouth. Persecution would help us understand a passage like this and give us another reason to be more like Jesus Christ. It would separate the real believers from the false believers if we suffered persecution. But thank you, Lord, for preserving us. We're going to trust your merciful and gracious providence in our lives for giving us such a peaceful, protected, prosperous place and that you can teach us this lesson without that. So teach us, Lord. And thank you. Thank you for being so kind to us. We know that we're pampered, protected, and at peace. Thank you. Amen. The wisdom of Jesus is staggering. Ten reasons? I think you're exaggerating, Pastor. There's probably more than ten if the Lord would open open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law, we might come up with 20. Right. Because it's the Lord speaking. Right. And Jesus was given the gift, he was given a, the tongue of the learned. right? A precious statement about him. Yeah. And here it is. The first verse. If the world hates you, John 15, 18, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. So looking at your little handout, number one, the world hated you. Me first, Jesus said. The world hated me first, number one, from John fifteen eighteen. Find your fulfillment is the word I've chosen for that blank. Find your fulfillment following your Lord and Master as his true disciples. If you really want to follow Jesus Christ, whatever happened to Jesus Christ and that he took well, Don't you want to have it happen to you so that you can take it well to show you that you've learned from him? If he's your master, you want to be his disciple. If they've hated me, men, and you know they've hated me, you've been with me for three and a half years. In fact, the last time I wanted to come back to Jerusalem, you told me I shouldn't do it because I was risking my life. Because they wanted to kill me in Judea. If they've hated me, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. They hated me first. So if you want to follow me, you can find some fulfillment in the persecution that I've endured. The issue here, even though the word if is used, John 15 and verse 18, if the world hates you, is not a possibility of the world hating the apostles, for it certainly would. If, when we have an if construction like this, it's a subjunctive mood of the verbs involved, And don't really worry about that, but it means a hypothetical case that could come to pass. But Jesus knew it was going to come to pass because he said so in the next verse. He said so in verse 19, But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Not the world might hate you. It could. On a bad day it might. But it will hate you. It already hates you. And they did hate the apostles already along with Jesus Christ, but he took the brunt of it. Jesus has used this kind of reasoning many times and it's for effective reasoning and teaching. The apostles were treated, if the world hates you, the apostles were hated by the world. You know, they all want to talk about Peter. They tell jokes about St. Peter. Coming to St. Peter, the gate of heaven, and having St. Peter there, they want to tell jokes about St. Peter. The Pope thinks he's St. Peter's vicar, the reincarnation basically almost of St. Peter. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I've mentioned this verse already, but I want to read it to you, for you to appreciate, and this is just one place, but what Paul wrote about the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read several verses. This is what Paul wrote about the apostles. The apostles, think about it with me. Forget that they were fishermen. Forget that they were uneducated. The Bible tells us both. Think this they were the wisest, most powerful men the world had ever witnessed. The apostles were the wisest and most powerful men the world had ever witnessed. Could Peter heal by his shadow? Could Peter raise the dead? He did raise the dead. Did Jesus say they would do greater miracles than he had done? Could they do them whenever they wanted to do them? Did they have to pray for two weeks to do one? Could they say to the lame the, the lame man at the gate beautiful of the temple in Acts 3, Silver and gold have I none? We none. James and John and Peter. But what we have give we thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he did more than walk. He's bouncing around for two chapters in the the early stages of Acts. The most powerful men, the wisest men, they could speak in any language without going to school, even though they couldn't speak very well in their own language. Keep that in mind. On the day of Pentecost, the words were, How in the world... Are we hearing articulate preaching about the mighty works of God by Galileans? Here's what they were treated like. 1 Corinthians 4, 9. For I think, this is our brother Paul. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last. What is the truth about the apostles? They were first. When the list of gifts is given that God ever gave to the New Testament kingdom of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the apostles are first, the greatest. I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and as the off-scouring of all things unto this day. Now, you're not an apostle, and I'm not an apostle. And we are not treated like that. But a little bit of that wouldn't hurt us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ than them. I just wanted to share that with you from the Apostle Paul about how they were treated, though they were the wisest and most powerful men the world had ever witnessed. The things that they could do, the gifts of healing speaking in tongues, casting out devils, giving testimonies and and answering on trial for their lives in ways that confounded their adversaries. They were wonderful men, but they were beaten in in day one or two after the first preaching of the day of Pentecost. Stephen was killed within days or weeks. James was beheaded in the early chapters of the book of Acts. It's going to get ugly, man. It's going to get ugly, and I want to give you some comfort and some reasons for you to embrace the persecution that's coming. If the world hates you, the world is the world of the ungodly around us. But there was a particular emphasis on the Jews, because it was the Jews that had hated Jesus. And it was the Jews that would be the primary persecutors of the apostles. The Jews chased Paul all over the Gentile world. The Jews chased him. And I want you to remember that. That it was the Jews, the ones who knew God Jehovah, the ones who were already monotheistic worshipers, meaning one God of Jehovah. They were the persecutors. And the the sect of the Jews that persecuted the most were the Pharisees, the conservative fundamentalists. And in our experience, we have realized that ourselves. Liberals are liberals because they don't really care about anything. Mm -hmm. Conservatives care about their little agenda. And when we preach or speak against their agenda, they hate us, just like they hated Jesus. It's the world of the unbelieving Jews and Gentiles, and I'm not going to worry anymore about the word world. I hope that you know in the Gospel of John, the word world is used with wide latitude. Hate is a very strong emotion. If the world hates you, the world says it hates hate. Now, it's now popular to say that you hate hate and the world hates hate, except for one category. They can still hate Bible Christians and they do. What pagans and the Roman Catholic Church and her daughters have done to Christians is beyond words. The cruel tortures that they devised for Christians during the dark ages is hard To believe. We got a rather sanitized version. Back there in 2014, we had a martyr presented to us every Sunday for 52 weeks. Five minutes, ten minutes of a martyr presented to us. And we heard about some of the things, but some of the, the more atrocious things were not done. You need to read what was pulled together for Oliver Cromwell about the churches in the valleys of Piedmont of northern Italy, right under the shadow of Rome and what was done to them. Despicable things that I would not say in a mixed audience like this. Unbelievable. Right. We have it in our library. Check me out. There's drawings in there. Mm-hmm. Why was that book written? Because it was commissioned to be written so that Oliver Cromwell could get the other heads of state of Europe to march on Rome and burn it to the ground right. in fulfillment of Revelation 17. Well, it, it was rendered impotent, as it is at this day, by God's other means. But that's why it was written. It's in our library. It's the, uh, it's the history of the evangelical churches of the valleys of Piedmont. It's, it goes a little farther than does uh, sanitized martyr's mirror and sanitized Fox's Book of Martyrs. Paul hinted at such atrocities. That would be done to them. Look at He. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 11. You can look at it if you wish. If the world hates you, the world did hate them. Here's what Paul wrote in Hebrews 11:35. Women receive their dead raised to life again. This is the hall of faith. You know, in the hall of faith, there are great accomplishments by some of God's children, and there are little footnotes of people with no names. That were abused by the enemies of God. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured. Think about anything you want under the word torture, and you haven't exceeded what was done, but you've come far short of what was done. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, because they wouldn't swear against God or Jesus Christ or their law or their customs. They weren't going to change that they might obtain a better resurrection. They went ahead and endured it that they might obtain a better resurrection because having adversaries against us for Christ's sake is to them an evident token of perdition, their judgment, but to us it is an evident token of salvation and a better resurrection. So they died at the hands of their torturers, not accepting deliverance by agreeing with a lie And they lost their lives for a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. We can handle it. John 15, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, man, it's going to get ugly. When, not if, America passes hate legislation... It will allow hatred of Bible Christians like us. That's how it defines hatred. That's how the world defines hatred, is preaching against sin. That's the bottom line, preaching against sin. When, not if, America has hate legislation, it will often punish Christians who hate sin. The violence against Jesus, a perfect man that did great good in the nation of Israel, is hard to grasp. But it's existed from the beginning. How could Cain kill Abel? Overcrowding population? Thin out the population? How could Cain kill Abel? Because he was good. Do you know what times we live in right now? The perilous times of the last days. When Christians are despisers of them that are good. 2 Timothy chapter 3 if you're good in the right way, Christians will despise you. Proverbs 29. Let me read it. If the world hates you, we'll go a lot faster in just a moment. Trust me. Keep your wrist loosened. Proverbs 29. It starts out this way. If the world hates you, the world was going to hate them. The world did hate them, and the world hates us. And the more you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, the more the world will hate you. Proverbs 29 and verse 10 The bloodthirsty hate the upright. Wow. Is that really true in the world? The bloodthirsty hate the upright? Do wicked men actually hate upright and good men? Yes, indeed. But the just seek his soul. Just men love the upright and seek his soul. Verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. Is that true of you? Are are unjust men an abomination to you? Yes. And he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. So the wicked think we're an abomination and we think they are an abomination. Yep. That's what makes the world go round. That is the truth of the that is the truth of the world. Do you want a lesson in social studies? I just blew out about 13 years of social studies. I did. Yes. Right. Absolutely. In one verse, Proverbs 29, 27. That's why things happen. The wicked hate the righteous, and the righteous hate the wicked. You say, I didn't think the righteous should hate anybody. They should hate the wicked. David said, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Right. In Psalm 139, God hates them. If we're God's children, we should hate them. He teaches us to hate them. David hated them. Lord, help us to take a stand. Let's embrace their hatred of us as Jesus taught. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. These are wonderful verses of encouragement. I hope that everyone that needs encouragement will be encouraged by them. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice the connection again. An evidence of eternal life is being persecuted for righteousness' sake. When somebody hates you, dislikes you, separates from your company because you want to do what is right, it's a sign that you have eternal life. Look at that. That, I love that verse. Blessed are they which are persecuted. It's a blessing. You're blessed. Which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones going to heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's a blessing. You're blessed when men do that to you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Don't just be glad, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. These three verses were not directed to the apostles, These verses were directed in the Sermon on the Mount to a large crowd of people that were not apostles. Okay, you're blessed. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. And yes, we know that from having studied John up to this point. We saw in John 5 their hatred against Jesus Christ... For healing the lame man, the the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda, remember? Because he healed him on the Sabbath Sabbath day. Then when they asked him about it, he said, My father worketh, and I work hither too. Then they had a second reason they wanted to kill him. And the disciples got to see that, and so Jesus is telling them, Listen, you want to follow me? You want to be part of the kingdom? You want to be foundation stones in the kingdom? It hated me first. It's going to hate you second. Let's come to verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. Number two, the wicked, what, will hate you. Not verse number two. We're in verse 19. John 15, 19. But on your little handout, number two, the wicked world will hate you since you are no longer part of them or approve of them. The wicked world will hate you since you are no longer part of them or approve of them. If ye were of the world, if you were part of this world and you did the same things they did and thought the same things they do, had their same philosophy and their lifestyle, if you approved of the things they did, they'd love you for it. Because they want everybody to be like them. But because you're not of that world and you don't approve them, they hate you for it. And that's Number two, and when you're taught by the grace of God and when you read the Bible and you realize how ignorant, wicked, and damned the world is, it is a blessing and a privilege to not be part of it. Right. And so it's joy. And so verse 19 says, if the world hates you, I mean, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. The reason for this hatred, men, that they have against you and are going to have against you is because you're not of them. You've been separated for a heavenly kingdom. There's a division in the whole race. There's a division, just like there was between Cain and Abel. Abel was on his way to heaven. Abel's in Hebrews 11. Cain's in John 8 and 1 John chapter 3. Total difference between them. Rejoice. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. The world is the domain, the lifestyle, and the philosophy of the devil and all wicked men. We do not want to be part of the world. So this is an encouragement. They, they, they hate you, men, because you're not part of them. Because you're on your way to heaven, and they're on their way to hell. You're in the straight gate and the narrow way that leads to life, and they're in the broad way that leads to destruction. We do not want to be part of the world. The Bible says, he that is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James 4, 4. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth Amen. forever. Amen. This is lesson number two. This is encouragement or comfort number two here in the first half of John 18, 19. The world's ideas are a sure standard of what is wrong. Reject it. When, men, when all men speak well of you, so spake they of the false prophets that were before you. Ye are they... Luke 16, 15 is going to put it this way. Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. That's what the world always does, justifying themselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What this world highly esteems, and I'm not going to go through a list, it would be distracting. What this world highly esteems is an abomination to God. I don't mean technical things like transportation. The world esteems air flight. That is not under consideration here. These are moral issues. What the world esteems as morally correct, morally justifiable, and morally allowable is an abomination to God. The difference between the two is gigantic. For those of you that like Star Wars and things like that of a great conflict in the universe, we have a great conflict in the universe and we're dealing with verses pertaining to it right now. The best candidate for an office in our nation can most easily be determined by the one that the educators, the entertainers, and the media hate the most. It's never failed. Just ask what the media is hating by their articles, their slanted articles, the educators are hating, and the entertainers are hating. When you get those three categories of total God-hating, Bible-rejecting idiots, you know who to vote for. It's it's true. It's worked since I was a little boy. Sometimes it gets a little confusing. Just find out who they hate. That's the one to vote for. They hate him or her for a reason. Because him or her does not like them and what they do. When Christians are persecuted, if they submit to worldly sinfulness, the persecution stops. Guys, you haven't submitted, and that's why the world hates you. It's a good sign. Keep it up. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. The ungodly and the wicked world around us loves anyone that will approve of their sins. There's a separation between Christians and the world that must not be compromised, and we can't compromise it. And it's the first verse that I read from Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation be such as becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand fast. I love the Reformed churches for their antithesis They named a divide between the world and Christians, and they called it the antithesis. The word antithesis means the opposite, opposing camps. And we're an opposing camp from the world, and we can't compromise it. There's absolutely no difference today than between the first two sons, Cain and Abel, that we know about. But because you're not of the world, let's go to the second half of John 15 and verse 19. But, because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, we've got two buts, therefore the world hateth you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. If you acted like the world, lived like the world, approved of the world, agreed with the world, and shouted amen at their Pharisee meetings, the world would love you. But, Because you're not of the world, you don't shout amen at their meetings. You are different. Your lifestyle is different. You talk different. You worship God differently. Therefore, the world hateth you. And how did that come about? Because I have chosen you out of the world. And so we come to number three. You did not choose to leave the world, but I chose you out of the world for kingdom work. So men, it's not that you made a choice at the Sea of Galilee so much as it was that God made a choice for you. Now, shouldn't that excite you? God made a choice for you to be different from the world. Now, do you want to be different from the world? Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want to be different from the world. Since you put it that way, that you chose us, and you're right. You're the one that came after us. And you wanted us to be apostles for you. And you've made us different from the world. We want to be different from the world. Notice how each one of these can give comfort and encouragement to embrace persecution as identifying those apostles with the Lord Jesus Christ. I picked you for this. I picked you to get you out of the world. Do you know what a blessing that is? Do you know where this world is headed? Peter sure knew in 2 Peter chapter 3, didn't he? He said the old world, standing in the water and out of the water, was overwhelmed by water and entirely destroyed. The world now is being held in reserve to be overwhelmed by fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Which side do you want to be on? Do you want to be among the eight that were in the ark or those outside the ark? How much do you love water? Do you want to be... Preserved in Jesus Christ or outside it when the next flood comes. And it won't be a flood of water. It'll be a flood of fire. I've chosen you out of the world. It's God's honor for you to be out of the world. It's God's trust in you to be out of the world. I get written very frequently by men discouraged about the lack of real Christians. So I get to write them and tell them about the perilous times. And encourage them that God has chosen them. This is exactly how I do it. That God has chosen them to be part of his select, very small remnant against these perilous times. Now David said, is there not a cause? He knew God had chosen him. And so he killed Goliath. We don't kill Goliaths in the same way. But we have a war to fight. And God has honored us and chosen us, and trusted us to put up that fight. Let's do it. It's another way of looking at it. We didn't choose him. He came after us. Any choice that you've made of God, he worked that choice in you, because it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's come to verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Now this is an important important point. Remember the word that I said unto you. When God reveals truth and teaches us, do not forget it. Remember. 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 Remember the word that I said unto you. Solomon warned often about forgetting the truth. And I'm not going to turn you to Proverbs. Because we could go through Proverbs where Solomon wrote about remembering. Retain. Keep. Don't forget. Don't lose. Bind it. Attach it. Hold it. Because that's part of wisdom is when you're taught something, you review it and you keep it so that it's not lost. To learn something, then forget it, is worthless. Except you're judged for it because God had the kindness to reveal it to you. Lord, be with us and help us. Remember the word that I said unto you, Lord, what word did you give us? The servant is not greater than his Lord. I'm your Lord and master. You are my servants. This is John 13. This is at the table in the upper room. But it's also in Matthew chapter 10. The servant is not greater than his master. How they've treated me, they will surely treat you the same way. So did you remember that rule? The Lord expects us to be logical and to remember logical arguments. Look at it. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Is that spiritual? It is not. Is it logical? It absolutely is. It's a rule of it's a rule of nature. It's a rule of life. Right. The servant is not greater than his master. And so we come to, a, we come to a, an argument of logic here for number four on your page. Jesus taught them this rule, which they should have applied and which they should keep in memory. The servant is not greater than his Lord. So number four, it is simple logic of greater to lesser that they will hate you servants, since they hated your master. One of the rules of reasoning, or one of the arguments of reasoning, is to be able to argue from the greater to the lesser. If something is true of a related thing that is greater in value, greater in power, greater in dignity, then it is certainly going to apply to something that is lesser. That's how Jesus is reasoning right here. This is the Simplest logical argument, arguing from the greater to the lesser. Grasp it. If a rule applies to a more valuable thing, then it applies to a lesser thing. To illustrate the logical rule, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 5. Corinthians, why in the world are you going to small claims courts to settle differences of little tiny things between church members? Why in the world are you doing that? Don't you know? Another word for don't you know. Remember, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? If you're going to judge angels, why can't you handle the smallest things of this life? In fact, since you're going to judge angels and we're only dealing with the smallest things of this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. Pick your dumbest members. They should be able to handle it. Because they're going to judge angels. That was sarcastic ridicule of the church at Corinth. I've preached through that passage phrase by phrase before. But see, arguing from the greater to the lesser, if you're going to judge angels, surely you can judge the simple little things that pop up in a congregation on earth. That has nothing to do with 1 Corinthians 5 about throwing out a fornicator. There's no judgment in throwing out the fornicator in 1 Corinthians 5 right. because our captain has already judged the matter completely. All we do is follow his instructions. But all the little things, that they, the petty little differences that pop up in a church, for those of you that remember, it's the jigsaw right. and the power cord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll know soon enough. Adam, I'm talking to you. It's one of my little illustrations that I've used a hundred times over 35 years about what Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 and 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8 is talking about. The simple little things that come up between church members. But that's, forget all that. It's arguing from the greater to the lesser. Right, right. The servant is not greater than his master. If they've mistreated me with all my dignity, all my wisdom, And men, he didn't have to explain it. They knew that they hadn't had any wisdom comparable to him. All my power, they're certainly going to persecute you. So that's number four. And that's verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Here's the logical argument. Since masters are greater, they will reject your preaching. They've rejected my preaching, and only a few have received it. Only a few are going to receive yours, the most will reject it. So, number five, they rejected my preaching. So, they will reject your preaching, no matter how well done. Because the apostles, no matter how gifted, were hardly going to preach equal to Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus Christ in all of his eloquence and all of his power and all of his dignity and all of his graciousness was rejected for the most part. And if if some were to receive their preaching, it would be like the few that received Jesus' preaching. And they should measure their results comparable to his. And their results actually were greater than his. And so there was some encouragement there in the actual results. But these rules are given to be remembered Is that what Jesus said in John 16? These things have I told you, so that when it comes to pass, you'll remember that I told you in advance? Your response is not going to be very good. It's like he told Jeremiah and Ezekiel, go preach, but no one's going to believe. No one's going to repent, but go preach anyway. Well, the apostles did get some results, as we can read about in the first few chapters of Acts. So there we are at verse 20. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. They didn't keep his saying, and they wouldn't keep his. If, if, if. The subjunctive argument is powerful, because they didn't. Verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my namesake, because they know not him that sent me. But all these things will they do unto you for my namesake. Number six. On your handout, they will hate you for my name's sake so do not take it personally it's really about me when israel wanted to kill moses moses felt sorry for himself and went to the lord to tell him that look at nobody likes me and the lord said they haven't rejected you right. they've rejected me right. when samuel was approached by israel and said and they said to him, "We don't want you or your sons being our judges anymore. We want a king." Samuel felt pretty bad. Went to the Lord. They've rejected me. The Lord said, "They've rejected you. They've rejected me." Right. Apostles, when you're out there and they hate you, and you're the filth of all things, and the off, the, the filth of the world, and the off scouring of all things. Remember, it's not personal. They hate me. They hate me, and they're going to take it out on you. Right. So that's number six. That is comforting and encouraging. So, that you know, no man is perfect. The apostles weren't perfect. We're not perfect. We just want to make sure that when someone hates us, it's not because of our imperfection, false sins, and personal idiosyncrasies that are just flat-out irritating and wrong and unconventional, We want to go down for the cause of the gospel. It's because we're associated with Jesus Christ. That's what we want to make the issue. So that was number six in the first half of verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Men, it's going to get ugly. And they are going to abuse you because of me. But it's not personal except between me and them. You just happen to be related to me, and I've commissioned you and chosen you out of the world, so you're going to be involved in it as well. Second half of verse 21, because they know not him that sent me. And so number seven on your handout, their hatred is not only against you and me, but they actually hate God, Jehovah himself. Number seven, their hatred is not only against you and me, but they actually hate God, Jehovah himself himself. Now, Jesus had always reverently addressed his father in heaven, God, Jehovah. And so it was obvious. Did Jesus say just recently, my father is greater than I? He did indeed. So the apostles understood that there was God, Jehovah, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was certainly their Lord and master with them being down here as disciples and servants. And what Jesus wants to point out to them, when you're feeling their wrath and they're mocking you and devising all manner of slander against you and torturous devices against you and and believers that you have shown the truth and converted remember that it's really because they're god haters right and so that puts you in great company remember what i just showed you the the disciples are down here as servants then it's jesus as lord and master and jesus always gave reverence to God the Father, men, when they're hating you, it's because they really hate God Jehovah. They hate the God of the burning bush. They hate the God of Abraham. They hate the God of Moses. They hate the God of Isaac and of Jacob and of David. They hate him. They don't know him. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they wear on their, their phylacteries and what they wear on their arms and their foreheads. They don't know him. So understand that when it's coming against you, it's really because they don't know God and they're enemies of God. And so that puts you in good company. Be encouraged, rejoice, and be exceeding glad. Their real enmity is against God himself. John chapter 15 and verse 21, the second half was, because they know not him that sent me. And that is why they hated the Lord Jesus Christ, because they did not know or they did not see that God had sent Jesus into the world. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. If I had not come and spoken unto them, so now we're talking about the preaching of Jesus. They had not had sin. Is that right? If Jesus hadn't come and preached to the Jews, were the Jewish rulers sinless? No, we're supposed to understand this. It's rightly dividing the word of truth. They wouldn't have had their sins exposed. They wouldn't have had their sins revealed. They wouldn't have had their sins defined. They wouldn't have had their sins explained. But I did all that in my preaching, and that's why they don't like me. And this is verse 22. Let's read it again. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. They cannot hide their hypocrisy or their sins because I've exposed them. And that's what the preaching of Jesus Christ did, and that is what our lives are supposed to do. Ephesians chapter 5 says that if we will live righteously in this world, we will reprove the world around us. We don't have to do it verbally. We're not even called to do it verbally. But we should take, and I don't like using this expression, but I hope you know what I mean, we should always take the high road And condemn them by our conduct. Always take the high road. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. They would have been able to keep their sins hid. But now I came and spoke, and they have no cloak. They can't hide it anymore. So, number eight. Number eight, my preaching exposed their hypocrisy and sins. So they are now filled with hate and violence against me. Number eight. Why do they hate me? Men. There's no good cause. It's not because I have hypocrisy. It's not because I have sins. It's not because you're hypocrites or you have sins. It's because they have hypocrisy and sins and I expose them. Now does that, does that help you appreciate, men, why you're going to be persecuted? And you want the answer? Yes, indeed. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Verse 23, He that hateth me hateth my father also. That's a repetition of what went before, and it's number—it's back to number seven. They, hated, they actually hate God, Jehovah himself. When we got to point number seven, you may have thought I was saying too much by saying they were actually God-haters, but I, I knew what was coming, and you should have known what was coming. And it was in verse 23, He that hateth me hateth my father also. That is hard. And brethren, you know the outcome. This is, all, this is implied. Men, apostles, you know the outcome of someone hating the Father. Do you know how Proverbs puts it? Though hand join in hand, they shall not be unpunished. Right. Yeah. There's no conspiracy against the God of heaven. It didn't matter if the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests and the Sadducees, the Herodians, all came together and conspired together, the Lord would overthrow them. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. So, verse 22 is I preached and exposed their hypocrisy and sins. Verse 24 is My works exposed their sins. So we look at number, did I say eight? I meant number nine. My works, number nine on your handouts, my works also exposed them for my miracles were unlike any they had heard or seen by any man, proving that Jesus had a divine mission from the Father. They were exposed. When you look at some of their discussions, they will say, what are we going to do? Because that a notable miracle has been done, we can't deny. Why do you want to deny it? Because they hate the Father and the Son and the righteous standard that Jesus Christ brought on the nation. And so number nine is men. The reason that they hate us. The reason they hate you and the reason they hate me and the reason they hate God is because my works were such a display that I was obviously from heaven and obviously sent by God that they now hate me because of my works. Because my doctrine condemned them, my works confirmed me and my doctrine. And so that's number nine. My miracles. Men, you've seen my miracles. You know how many there were. You know how great they were. And you know that they hate us in spite of them. Do you remember the council they had in John chapter 11 after Lazarus was raised from the dead? And in the early verses of John chapter 12, what are we going to do? The whole world's going to believe. The Romans are going to come and take away our place. They're going to take away our temple and everything. Everything is all messed up. He just raised a man from the dead. What are we going to do? I make a motion that we kill him and kill Lazarus. I make a mo- listen between us. I make a motion. We fall and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and His Father in heaven. I make a motion that we kill them both. Hello, where in the world they had to get rid of Jesus because he exposed their hypocrisy and sins two ways. He preached against them, and then he had miracles from heaven against them. His miracles were unlike anything they could read in the Old Testament. You say, but didn't Elijah have food brought by ravens, and didn't Elijah multiply some meal? Yeah, Elijah had to pray about it and see if it would happen. Jesus just said it and did it. And all I read about is a widow woman being lasting a little while on that meal. Not 5,000 men plus their wives plus their children being fed by a lad's lunch and 12 baskets full being taken up. And on and on it goes. Elisha would have to lay on the young lad and beg God to grant him a miracle. Jesus just would say, Lazarus, come forth. Amen. They had never seen or heard power like that. Right. And so they hated him and his father because it was obvious God the Father had sent Jesus Christ by the quantity and the quality of his miracles. And so number nine, man, you know my miracles. They proved that God was with me, but what it did to them was make them hate both God and me because it also exposed them. Because this verse also says they had not had sin. They wouldn't have sinned. They would have been able to get away with their hypocrisy and sins, but my preaching and my miracles, backing up my preaching, exposed them. So we come to verse 25. The miracles should have converted those Jews. Don't you think? Shouldn't the Red Sea... And the ten plagues that went before it converted Pharaoh? You'd think? Don't think. Just obey. Because when we start thinking, we'll do anything. Just do what God said. And trust his word. Verse 25, but this cometh to pass. This is about my favorite one. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But this cometh to pass. Men, it's going to get ugly. But when it gets ugly, it's because God's ordained it. It's going to come to pass, and God's ordained it to fulfill Scripture. To fulfill Scripture. So our persecution, number 10 on your handouts, our persecution will fulfill Scripture. So embrace it. God planned and promised it for us and them. And I hope I've given you enough verses already today and in the preparatory email that persecuting people for Jesus Christ's sake is an evident token of your destruction and an evident token, by your I meant the persecutor's destruction, and an evident token of your salvation. It's promised in the Bible. This is, this is beautiful. Man, don't forget that when they unleash hell on you and when they try to destroy you, it was prophesied in the Bible. You are fulfilling scripture. You are part of fulfilling Bible prophecy. Embrace it. In Psalm 69, it says about me, they hated me without a cause. They are going to hate you without a cause. It was written that way. God's planned it that way. Embrace it. Do you know the martyrs of the dark ages understood revelation better than we do because they knew who ruled the world and all the kingdoms of the earth committed fornication with that Roman Pope. So when they were offered and they died, they knew they were fulfilling scripture. Do you know that you're part of the perilous times of the last days? We have a prophecy. When men write and ask me and want to plumb the depths of some prophecy, I always want to remind them, do you appreciate the most important prophecy in the Bible right now for us? in this generation, is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, 4. 21 verses describing the compromise of a feminine Christianity all around us and how it has destroyed most churches and most Christians, and we're supposed to stand against it because it fulfills Scripture. When something comes up in your family, and a family member hates God, hates God's doctrine doesn't show any work of grace in his life, her life, whoever it is. Remember, it was prophesied. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household, his own family. It's a prophecy. So from that 25th verse, the comfort and the encouragement Jesus gave his apostles should provide us comfort and encouragement as well. But this cometh to pass. And I want to tell you Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 37, one of the verses that converted me when I was a late teenager. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? Nothing comes to pass without the Lord commanding it. Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not commanded it? Amos 3 6. There's so much comfort in that. That's why it's my favorite. So much comfort. It's the sovereignty of God. It's coming to pass according to his plan and purpose. It's designed to be an evident token of your salvation. It's designed to be an evident token of their damnation. Embrace it. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. How are you not of the world? Let me just close with a few questions to you from this passage. The apostles were not of the world very distinct and different. What they practiced, what they believed, how they lived. How are you not of the world? Or are you part of the world? You're a friend of the world. You're the enemy of God. It doesn't matter what you think or say. How are you not of the world? If you're saved, if you think you're going to heaven, you're not of this world. But how do you show it? We are warned strictly in the New Testament to be separate from the world, to come out from among them and be separate, not touch the unclean thing. How much has this world's philosophy and lifestyle affected your thinking, your speech, your actions? We should condemn the world by our speech and actions to be like Noah before the great day of fire comes. Another question, do you expose the sins of the world? A godly, biblical life is a wonderful, God-ordained way by which you can expose the world. Let me be simple. When I preach hard and write hard updates about rebellious women, I'm preaching God's word, I'm lifting up his trumpet, and I'm doing things that you may not be able to perceive. Mm -hmm. But then when they leave, you should know that mission accomplished. But I want to ask you, now that's preaching, public preaching. And we blast any sin that the Lord reveals to us from the Bible. Right. We have no favorites. A godly biblical life is a wonderful God-ordained way by which you can expose the world. Proverbs 28.4 says that the man who keeps my commandments is the one that contends against the wicked. Salvation should result in a changed life that reproves the world of their wickedness. That's Ephesians 5, and it's a long passage. It's a wonderful passage. That when we live righteously, we reprove the wicked. We must live in the world, but we're not of the world. And we should always take the high road above them and by our actions condemn them without saying a word. Heap coals of fire on their head. Overcome their evil with our good. Always. You need not preach, leave tracks, or argue. Does your life... Condemn them by its love, joy, peace, temperance, faith, meekness, gentleness, goodness, etc., etc., etc. God doesn't care if you can blast verses. That's offensive. He wants to know why you have taken His word in your teeth if you're not going to live His word first. Right. The things that get others bent out of shape on the job should not get you bent out of shape on the job. Right. While they rail on masters, or customers, or both, you should give thanks for both. Make there be a difference. Expose the sins of the world without saying a word. While being nice to them, that hurts them the most. While being nice to them, live like you should, and you can be like the Lord Jesus Christ and expose their sins. One more question. Is there hatred without cause? Do worldlings hate you without cause or have you contributed to the reasons they hate you because you're irritating, overbearing, negative, critical, ridiculous in some of the things you do, say, act, dress, wear, talk? Just want to ask you a question. I can't preach a passage like this without bringing it home on all of us. Is there hatred without cause? We do not want to give anyone any other cause except for my name's sake. Right. Do you have enemies? The word of God here and elsewhere says you should have them. 2 Timothy 3.12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are your enemies due to your godly lifestyle? Because any other reason is your sin. And 1 Peter chapter 4 is so plain about only let their persecution of you be because you're a Christian. Do not let it be for any other reason. You should live to be perfectly innocent before them. The Apostle Paul could stand up in a trial for his life and say, I have lived in a pure conscience since I was born. Lord, help us. Mm -hmm. If you have anything in your life that justifies persecution or being disliked, you deserve it and more. Be like our Lord. He didn't do anything to bring on him their wrath except love God, love his word, do good, and preach the truth. And he preached it graciously. Remember when he was in his hometown of Nazareth in Luke 4? They all marveled at the gracious words that came out of his lips. Let us graciously speak, live, and if the world hates us, It will hate us. Let them hate us for the cause of Jesus Christ only. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.